sitting in the back, and when you're sitting in the back and hear you guys singing, that means you guys are doing some singing. So, good job. Appreciate that. <clears throat> well, let's not get crazy. Let's not get carried away. <laughs> I just want to apologize, first of all, for those who pulled in and saw Bill in the parking lot. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry. Just... I went out there and I said, hey, uh, the neighbors are calling and they're asking, uh, who is that in the parking lot? So, anyways, well, imagine, if you can, uh, a conversation you might have with God. You're, you've died. And not that we want that to happen right now. I'm just setting up this question for you. But you're standing before God, and he, he asks you this question, why should I let you into heaven? What would be your response? Some people would stand before him and say, well, you know, they'll recite all the religious stuff that they've done. All the, you know, things that are a part of religion. Some would even probably just say religion in general, because there's people who believe that all religions get to God. It's the same God, and again, the Bible doesn't teach that, but they may use that. Other people would just say, hey, you know, I'm good. I've tried to be good. I've tried to be kind to my fellow man, and they would throw that out as, an, as a possibility of why they should be allowed into heaven. And then others, I'm sure, would, would say, well, I've placed my faith in, in Jesus Christ. But with all the different ways that people say you can get to heaven, and even within Christianity, who's right? <laughs> How do we know for sure who's... Was that my phone? Just one One second. I'm, I'm getting my phone. I can feel my phone blowing up. I apologize. That was my phone. Um, it's funny, sometimes I'm, I have it in my back pocket because I have to write myself notes when you guys ask me things I don't remember, so I write myself notes. And then, but it's in my back pocket. While I'm preaching, I'll feel it buzzing, you know, because I keep getting texts. So, Bill, stop texting me. Anyways, um, <laughs> so, about 50, you know, back in the 1500s, there were some Roman Catholic priests who had that same question. And so what they did is they started going back to studying the Bible in its original language. And then what they started understanding or seeing is that between what they were studying in the Bible compared to what the Roman Catholic Church at the time called their sacred writings, which were basically man's commentary on what the Bible taught that eventually became to them on the same level as Scripture, they began finding that, hey, the, what these sacred writings are saying is not what the Bible says. And so who's right? How do we know who's right on this? And so they attempted to, to reform the Roman Catholic Church. So you guys might hear the term the Reformation, right? And so they tried to reform the Catholic Church, try to bring it back to what they say, what we call sola scriptura, that the, the Bible alone is what we should be studying, what we should be knowing. And so as they've done this over the years now, we've kind of put together what we call the five pillars of faith, the five solas. And they're, they're basically five pillars of our faith that we look at. We summarized it this way, and that is according to Scripture alone. So we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We look at what the Bible says. We study the Bible. Uh, and, and by the way, just because of the conversation Hayden and I had this week, he's uh, got a friend of his, and they're kind of talking through this kind of stuff. There's a system to how you study the Bible. You don't just throw yourself into the Bible and start picking and choosing stuff. There's actually a system where you study the, the original language. You study what's going on in culture at that time. You try to understand as best you can what the, the author's original message was and what the original audience was understanding him to be talking about. So it's, it's not taking the Bible and putting it into um, modern terms 
or using Webster's Dictionary to define words. You go back to the original language and find out what those words mean. So there's a system to it. So according to Scripture alone, we are saved by grace alone. We talked about that last week. Through faith alone in Christ, or Christ alone, for God's glory alone. So the, the grace and faith in Christ alone, those are for salvation. This is the issue of salvation. So last week we looked at grace alone, the fact that salvation is, is grace. It's a gift that God gives us. Paul talks about the fact that we are enslaved to sin. There's no way for us to get out, and so God gives us this gift of salvation. Today we're going to talk about faith alone. And so what we're doing is um, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2 as kind of our jumping off point. And the reason why I did that is Ephesians chapter 2, it encapsulates all three of these uh, in, in what Paul says there. So it's really good for us to have that. We should be writing this down. It should be one of our key verses or sets of verses. You know, we're talking about our, our faith. We're talking about Christ with people. That's a passage that we should go back to. So I want to read those again for you this week, and then we're going to go into another passage and, and deal with this idea of faith and have Paul explain it a little bit more. But he says this in Ephesians chapter 2, <clears throat> But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead, spiritually dead in our trespasses, our sins have caused us to be spiritually dead. God made us alive together with Christ. So God is the one who made us alive. <clears throat> together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that faith is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So our faith is even a gift from God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. And so we, we see this grace and faith in Christ all wrapped up in these verses that all deal with this idea of, of salvation. And so Paul says that it's, salvation is through faith in Christ. So the question is, why do we place our faith in Jesus and not in religious rituals or traditions? Why do we place our faith there and not in these other things that man says that we're to follow? And there's several different answers, and we're gonna, I'm going to go through a couple of these real quick, and then we're going to get into Galatians chapter 3. But, but logically speaking, I guess one way we can look at this is, is that because... Not even God's religious law, which we're going to be talking about this morning. So the law that God gave Israel, that couldn't save Israel. That couldn't make them right with God. And so if that wasn't its purpose, because it wasn't, and we're going to talk about this morning, if that wasn't its purpose and it couldn't save people, then man who brings his laws into religion or into Christianity, their laws can't. Again, we're talking about Salvation is in, th in faith alone, or is it faith plus what other men say we need to be doing? And we're saying, Scripture says it's only something God does, and it's through faith in Christ. So go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 3. So we're going <clears> to <throat> break this idea of faith down this week. It's page 1166, if you're using the Bible there in the chairs. Uh, Paul's explaining this to them. But I want to give you the backstory because we're starting in chapter 3. So let me just give you the backstory of what's going on here. First of all... <clears throat> There were Jewish religious leaders who were coming into the church. So what would happen is, 
In most cases, an apostle, one of the 12 apostles, would go into a city. They would start telling people about who Jesus Christ was. Uh, Jews and Gentiles in that town would then place their faith in Christ, and they would start a church, which is just a basically a bunch of people getting together who have placed their faith in Christ. Then they were, you know, have a bunch of churches, so the apostles were moving around to different churches, and so occasionally there would be times where one of the apostles or another one of the teachers wasn't there, and Jewish religious teachers would come in and say, oh, hey, listen, yeah, faith in Jesus, but you also need to start doing the law. You have to start doing what God had given Israel to do. So it was faith in Christ plus doing the law. And if you did that, then, then you would be really, truly right with God. So Paul's writing this letter to the, the Christians in Galatia because this is what's happening there. And so he's correcting what these false teachers have brought into the church. And so in chapter 3, 15 through 18, he says this, 430 years before Moses ever got the law from God, God told Abraham, the father of Israel, if you want to put it that way, the grandfather of Israel, he told him, hey, listen, your faith in me is what's making you righteous. And this is what he says, Genesis 15, 6. So this is this is 430 years before Israel's freed from um, Egypt and, and God gives them the law. So here's what he said in 15.6. Then he, talking about Abraham, believed in the Lord and God reckoned it to him. He credited it to his account. That's what that word means. He, he, uh, um, Abraham was in a deficit, if you want to put it that way. He was in the red, right? There was, he was sinful. There was no way of getting out. His bank account was, of righteousness was in the red. And so God accredited to him, or credited his account, what? Righteousness, based on his belief in the Lord. And so God said, hey, you believe what I have said, you believe me, and because of that, I'm going to give you righteousness. I'm going to make you right with me. And again, that was 430 years before the law came. And so Paul's saying, you know, this is how salvation happens, the law wasn't given for that person purpose. So what was the law given for? What was its purpose? 19 through 20, Paul says, one of the things is that it was to define what God says is sin and judgment. If you're going to be saved from something, you've got to know what the something is that you're saved from, right? And so he's saying the law was given not to provide salvation, but to provide you to understand what you're saved from. What is a sin? What does it mean to break God's law? And what is the punishment for that? Which is a massive punishment. It's eternity in hell. So he's saying that's what the law was given. So he goes on to verse 21, and this is where we want to pick it up, because uh, he goes on to explain more about these things. So let's just read what he has to say here, and uh, we'll uh, break it down as we go, right? So question then, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Is there some, some contradictory thing going on here? You know, with the law, may it never be. In other words, not at all. No way. Why? For if a law had been given, which was able to impart life, now he's talking about spiritual life there, then righteousness, being made right with God, would indeed have been based on the law. So if, if that was the purpose of the law, if God gave the law for that purpose, well then, yeah, do all the religious goods, good things, don't do the bad things, and you'd be right with God. But that's not the case. But the Scripture has shut up everyone, so the writing down of the law was, has shut up everyone under sin. 
so that the promise, this promise of being made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, speaking of Jesus, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, again, talking about Jesus, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law, so here's a purpose for the law, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons or children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of us who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. We'll talk about what those mean. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendant, heirs according to promise, or according to this thing, idea of being made right with God through faith in Christ. So Paul starts out by saying that faith in religious law, even if it's God's law, can't save us from sin. That wasn't, again, it wasn't its purpose. And then he gives us two more reasons why God gave us the law. So the first one is, the law was given to show us that we are imprisoned by sin. And I use that word because of some of the ways he describes it. And again, if the law provided salvation, then God was being contradictory. We would have a contradiction in Scripture. Because prior to the law, God said faith came, or righteousness came through faith. Being made right with God came through faith in what God said. That's what he told Abraham. But then if he told Israel that, no, you'll be made right with me by doing the law, now that's a contradiction, right? We'd agree with that. Contradiction. Well, God's not a God of a contradiction. If there was a contradiction, we shouldn't be listening to Scripture. And this isn't a contradiction because the law wasn't given for that purpose. The law was given to define sin. Also, the law was given to let us know that we are imprisoned by that sin. Now, where do we get the word imprisoned from? Well, he says you're shut up under sin and you're kept in custody. Now, for those who are first-time attenders with us, uh, welcome. <laughs> by the way, great to have you here. I didn't get a chance to welcome you. Um, but we put the Greek word up there for you as well. So the ancient Greek word. So we understand what's he saying here. We're not using today's language. We're using ancient language. And what does he mean by that? So the word to be shut up under, um, I'm glad it's with an H here because when I first read I read Martian. You know, um, Amartian. But anyways, it means to be under the ownership of sin. So sin owns us. All of us prior to Christ. All of us are owned by our sin. Paul talked about last week, we are enslaved to sin. It means to be under sin's ownership. Then he says we're kept in custody. It means to be locked up securely. It's this idea that we're imprisoned. We're in jail. Our jailer is our sin. It's keeping us locked up. We're not able to escape it. And so I'm trying to think, okay, how do we, you know, how do we... Um, describe this or what's a good example so let me i've got a couple today that i'm going to throw at you and you can decide whether they're good or not but so you have a person who's in prison okay they've, they've broken a law and so they're in prison and let's say that person while in prison they do some good things it doesn't it doesn't cause them to be out of jail <laughs> they're still in prison even though they're doing good things they're still in prison why because the original charges are still there. It, it, we got to get rid of those charges to be released. And you want them cleared so you can go out and do life 
freely. It's the same thing spiritually. We're, we're locked uh, in jail, as it were, spiritual jail by our sin. And so you can go around and do good things, whatever you want to call those good things. You can even call them religious good things. But the problem is you're still locked in your sin. You're still in prison to your sin. And so the, we, we need to get out of jail. <laughs> we need to get out of prison. So, and then not only do we want to get out of prison, but we want to have our charges dropped. We want to be clear of all that. And so whether it's God's law or, or a law that man adds on to what the Bible says, it only tells us where we've done wrong, where we've broken God's laws, why it is that we're in this prison that we're in. It's not meant to clear us. It was never meant to clear us. Only God, who by the way is also called the judge in the Bible, only God is able to achieve that spiritual release, the clearing of our account, the causing our charges to be dropped. And so Paul goes on and gives us another purpose for the law. He says, therefore, in verse 24, because the law was given to define sin, because the law was given to let us know that we are imprisoned by our sin and we can't get out on our own, and that is through faith in Jesus, the law's purpose is to be a tutor for us. Now, back in the first century, a tutor, well, you know, we think about tutors today as they sit down with somebody and start working through classwork together, right? But a tutor back then was a servant who would walk with the kids to school. And so they uh, would walk with them, they would escort them, they would protect them, they would get them from the, their, uh, the house to school. And so that's what the law is doing for Israel at the time, because now he's talking about, hey, remember when? And so the law's purpose was to protect and escort Israel and anybody else who would want to go and live by that law to Christ to show them that Jesus Christ is the one that you need to be placing your faith in. So, so what was the law about? Well, when they were doing the law, what was going on there? So here's, here's how it plays out. God said that if you do these things of the law, so for instance, they, had, you know, they would do a lot of animal sacrifice, the shedding of blood. He um, wanted to say, hey, there is... Uh, there's consequences for your sin. There's, there's going to be a consequence for your sin. So you want them to, to learn that. But the way for me to forgive your sin or to look over your sin for the coming years, you need to slaughter that animal, to shed that blood, because again, sin causes death. And so you need to do that. And I'm telling you that when you do that, I will forgive your sin. And if they believed what God said about that, then they would be made righteous. Does that make sense? So it wasn't the slaughtering the animal that made them righteous. It was them believing what God said about that sacrifice. And so they were made righteous by their belief in what God said. But it was Jesus' work on the cross that allowed God to say, hey, you're, you're justified. You're declared not guilty. So the, the animal sacrifices were pointing for the Jews, was pointing to the future. That one day down the road, there was going to be an ultimate sacrifice for you. And that's what they're pointing to. And so they, they did their law, they did the law, they did the law. But then when Jesus showed up, it was Jesus, God the Son, who 
became man, that he provided the ultimate sacrifice for mankind. And it was through faith in him that we are justified. It means to, to render just or to be declared innocent, not guilty anymore of breaking God's law. It's not just being released from our sin. It's saying your, your charges are dropped. You don't have to worry about having anything on your record anymore. That's what Christ has done. Because somebody has to do the time. In the Old Testament, it was done through this symbolic expression of sacrificing animals. But someone is going to pay for our sin. It's either going to be us, and, and it's an eternity in hell, or God says, hey, I'll do it for you. Jesus Christ. So someone's going to pay. Either we are or Jesus is going to. And when we say, first of all, when we stop and go, wow, <laughs> can't believe that kind of gift. That's pretty awesome. But once we get past the initial shock, then we say, if we say, I believe what you say, God. I believe that you said that when Jesus died on the cross, he was my substitute. He took my judgment for me. I believe that when, he, when we do that, he says, all right, I'm going to make you right with me. I'm going to remove your sin. I'm going to wipe away all the charges that are against you. And I'm going to place them on Christ. Your sins will be placed on Christ. And I'm going to give you Christ's righteousness. Now again, if you're hearing that right, you're probably thinking, wow, that is so undeserved. <laughs> yeah, that's what's so unbelievable and so awesome about God that he knows we're messed up and that we are imprisoned by our sin and he wants to free us. And the only way he could free us is if, is if he did it himself. Now, if you want to know more about that, you've got to come back next week because we're going to be talking about Christ alone. How was it that Christ, Jesus Christ, was the one who could do that we're going to talk about that next week. But at the point of salvation, God declares us not guilty. He clears our charges because Jesus paid the price. And then also at that point, the law is no longer needed. Right? We don't need the law to point us to Jesus anymore. Why? Because we're there. We've accepted him. There's no need to have this other law stuff going on, telling us about what sin is and as a, as a person who's placed their faith in Christ. Because we know what sin is. We've accepted God's forgiveness by placing our faith in Christ. Our sin is removed. And so, now I have Christ escorting me. I have Christ protecting me. I don't need some other entity to do it, I guess is a way to put it. So once the charges are dropped and we're released by God through faith in Christ... There's no need for the tutor. There's no need for the law. The law has done its job. It's pointed us to Christ. We've accepted Christ. And now once released, our entire life changes. We used to be imprisoned in sin. We're just waiting for the day that we die physically and we spend eternity in hell. But now we're made children of God. He adopts us into his family. So here's my other example. Again, uh, I had one person come up after the 9 o'clock service and like, Pastor, you asked if we'd let you know if that made sense. It made sense. So, all right, so I'm good. 
Uh, one person out of 50 um, made sense. So maybe I'll have better luck here. But let me, so let me just kind of give you this example of how this would look, work. So you or me or whatever, it doesn't matter. We're living in a neighborhood and a, and a neighborhood kid walks over and he says, hey, I'd like to do whatever you want me to do at your house. And we're like, nice, I'll take that. So the kid comes over and he's you know, really good at what he does. He's mowing the lawn, he's edging, he's uh, vacuuming, he's doing the windows. And I mean, like the windows, it's like you could walk into him. You thought it was just, there was no window. He just cleans them so well. The edging is just perfect. And the lawn, you know, it's mowed this way and it's mowed back this way later on. It's got a little design in there. Harold's the best, you know, just really cool. I mean, it's just like, man, this kid is awesome. He does everything I ask and then some even. But does it make the kid my, my child? No, he <laughs> makes him my servant because I'm not paying him. By the way, just FYI, uh, you can if you want. You know, he, he's a servant or worse, he's a slave. I mean, this, this kid's doing all this stuff, but it doesn't make him my child. What makes him my child if I want him to be my child, if he wanted to be my child? What would make that happen? Adoption, right? I can make a, anybody my, my, my child if I want. I can just adopt them. So this is how Paul explains salvation in Romans chapter 8. He says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, just another way of saying those who have placed their faith in Jesus, these are sons or children of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption. So when we place our faith in Christ and God forgives us of our sins and he wipes away the charges against us and he releases us, we become his child. He adopts us into his family as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. This is, now again, if you're not, if you haven't studied the Bible a whole lot, you don't know what's going on in the first century, and like when Jesus was on the earth, this isn't going to blow your mind as much, but when you start to understand this stuff, man, it's, so when Jesus showed up, Jesus started talking about God being his father. To the Jews at that time, that was blasphemy. He should have been killed on the spot for saying that because they said God was so holy, we can't even pronounce his name because if we pronounce it wrong, he's going to judge us. Jesus shows up and he's like, yeah, my father. And by the way, when you guys pray, pray our father. So he's telling Jewish people, hey, you can call God your father. That that was just not going to happen with the Jewish religious leaders. Well, then Paul says, hey, by the way, you can call him Abba, Father. You know what Abba is? It's this term of endearment. This is this intimacy. It's like for we who have kids, you know, we've had those times where, you know, whether they're sick or just having a bad day and they crawl up next to us and they kind of, you know, worm their way in, and we're trying to do some stuff, but they're in, worming away, and they're taking the TV controller and slapping them back. No. It, this is supposed to be a good picture of what happened, not what happened with my kids. But anyways, you know, they would come, and you just kind of hold them, right? And you, you, you just make sure that they're doing okay, and that's what Paul's saying. We've been adopted by God, and we can call him Abba, Father. We can have this close, intimate relationship. And by the way, if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, man, that's not the relationship I had with my father. Uh, you know, Again, I'm sorry about that. This is the relationship you can have with God the Father. You know, it's it's awesome that he takes that place. Anyways, I'm getting off on a whole other message. But the Spirit himself, 
So God the Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So God the Father adopts us because we place our faith in God the Son, Jesus Christ, and then God the Holy Spirit is given to us to confirm that, to let us know, hey, I got you. You're mine. You're my child. But for God to adopt us, it's a a spiritual work that he does. And it's only something he can do. He's God. Last week, Paul, when we talked about this, Paul talked about the spiritual work using two big words, you know, regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Today he just uses one word, uh, baptized, uh, to explain what's happening here. So what does he mean by that? Well, baptized, and the next word next to it should be baptizo with a, an O rather than an E. Um, we just take it from the Greek. But anyways, so baptizo means to immerse or to submerge. So if you've ever seen our baptisms that we do up here in our stage, you know, when a person is baptized, they're baptized or submerged into water, right? And we bring them back out, depending on how much money I give, I live in longer. But so God places our sin on Jesus. We are, we are submerged, spiritually speaking, into Christ, who's hanging on the cross We're baptized into Christ. He's not talking about water baptism here. How do we know that? Well, one, because he's connecting this baptism to something else called being clothed in Christ. And we have no understanding of what that is outside of a spiritual realm. And the whole letter that he's writing is about how you don't add something to salvation. So this is a spiritual work he's talking about here. We're being baptized into Christ, where God immerses us into Christ. He, he takes our sins and he places it on Christ. So when a person places their faith in Christ, their sins are being given over to Christ placed on Christ. But he doesn't end there. He says, now you are clothed with Christ. And this has this idea of being uh, sinking into a garment, is what the Greek would say. It's sinking into a garment. It's it's, uh, placing clothing on. And we all put clothes on this morning. Thank you very much. And so, uh, you know, we're in this clothing. And so what he's saying is when we do that, we're covered, we're enveloped with who Jesus is. I'm not saying we become God. Okay, I've had that people accuse, well, you guys say you become God. No, we don't become God. But God, from his perspective, when he sees us, he sees Christ now. We have his life. We have his presence. We have his righteousness. Our sin is placed on Christ. Christ's righteousness is placed on us. Again, it's just, wow. It's unbelievable. But when God sees us, Christ is our substitute, and so when he sees us, he sees Christ because of what Christ has done for us. Now, so this is where the good works come in, right? We've always got to talk about the good works because the Bible talks about doing good works. So we've got to talk about good works. This is where the good works come in, not for salvation, but because of salvation, because we are walking around clothed in Christ, which means we do life Christ's way. How did Christ live his life? John 17 I, I, I've summarized John 17 this way, that Jesus Christ lived to glorify God through obedient living 
which drew people to him for salvation. If you want to summarize Christ's life, that's what it was all about. So when you ask people, so why did, why did Jesus come to this earth? A lot of people say, well, to die for our sins. Technically, no. <laughs> Jesus Christ, God the Son, came to earth to glorify God, to reveal who God is. That's what the word glorify means, to reveal who God was. And in doing that, he was obedient. His obedience is what put him on the cross. And it's that obedience that draws us to him. Man, God put on flesh and then died in our place. You know, I want to know more about a God that would do that. So for us as Christians, those who place our faith in Christ, who now are clothed in Christ, that's what our life is all about. We wake up every morning to glorify God, to live an obedient life that will draw other people to us so we can tell them about Jesus Christ. It makes life a lot simpler knowing that. All right, we're going to move on. So Paul says a couple more things here. I want to rip through those real quickly here, and then we'll get to our takeaways for the morning. Paul says that in verse 28 that this faith in Jesus is for all people. Now, why is that important? Well, back then it was important because the Jews thought God was just for them. They were holding on to God. They were supposed to represent him. God wanted them to represent him to the world, but they didn't do that. They, they held on to God. It was, it was their little precious. You know, they're, they're going to hang on to him. It's important for us today, really important for us today in one sense, because when, when you look at the, the political world, we've got these, these liberal politicians, and I'm not going to make a political statement here other than to say this about, that we have liberal politicians and we have the woke media. And we have these who are promoting the critical race theory. And if you watch the news, and you watch politics, and you watch media, and these who are trying to get this stuff into our education system, that's even get into the churches, it's dividing us on, on racial terms. It's dividing us on issues of gender. It's dividing us on economic status. It's always about divide, divide. You divide, you conquer. Jesus doesn't divide and conquer. He doesn't, salvation is not based on race. It's not based on skin color. It's not based on politics. It's not based on your economic status. We are all prisoners to sin. I don't care what your skin color is, which by the way, there's only one race. Whether you're a person who believes in creation or in evolution, everyone says that there is one race of people. So, this whole racism thing is just ridiculous because there is no racism. There is no, there's only one race. We have different colors of, or different amounts of melanin in our skin. <laughs> you know, anyways, I'm going to get off on a whole other subject. Point is that all of us in God's eyes, and that's the most important, God says, you're all sinners. You're imprisoned in sin. And there's no way for you to get out unless I do something. And so he initially went through the Jewish nation and they held on to God. And now he's saying, no, it's you know, faith in, in what I'm saying. It's faith in Christ. And so today we call those people who have done that Christians. And so now it's us. And so we relate to everybody. We don't relate to people based on their skin color or on their economic status or on their gender. Or on, you know, we, don't, we realize that everybody is imprisoned in their sin and we need to represent Christ. That's what he means by... Jesus for all people. And the last thing he says, you'll be descendants of Abraham. Now he's not saying we're all going to become Jewish. Okay, that's not his point. 
He's going back to the fact that Abraham was saved, made right with God through faith in what God said. And we are children of faith the same way. We are basing our being made right with God on what God has said. And what God has said is, Jesus died for your sin. And if you believe that, you'll be released from your sin. Your record will be wiped clean. Your relationship with me would be restored. You will now live for me, not for salvation, but because you'll spend eternity with me. Being made right with God has always been about placing our faith in what God says. Not what man says. And in that is forgiveness. In that is restored relationship. And so it's faith alone in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. So as we do each week, we have our takeaways. And so as, as the band comes up, and let me just uh, work through these things with you. So the first takeaway is for those here this morning who um, would say, you know, actually, I, I think I'm the one who's imprisoned in sin. <laughs> I think that's where I'm at. I, I've tried a bunch of other things, but nothing seems to work. I, I need to be released. I need God to do this spiritual level work in my life. Last week, we had three people pray to accept Christ. Again, we don't do this every Sunday. It's just when the passage speaks to it, that's what we do. Last week, three people accepted Christ. We've had 12 people accept Christ throughout this year. We had one in the first service who placed their faith in Christ. And I want to give you an opportunity who are here this morning who have not done that, that opportunity. So go ahead and just close your eyes. This isn't a time for people to be looking around. This is just a time for you to, to deal with God on this. And so what I want to do is, I just want to lead you in a prayer. It, around here we talk about these ABCs, right? We just need to admit that we're imprisoned by sin. We need to believe, place our full weight of trust, that Christ died on the cross for our sins, and then we confess that. We just we tell God that. We have a conversation, just like we would with anybody give, who gave us a gift. And so I just want to lead you in a prayer. And a prayer doesn't save you. A prayer isn't some kind of weird thing. It's you having a conversation with God, your heart to God's heart. And I just want to give you some words that you can say if you want to make sure that you've placed your faith in Christ, that you are free from that imprisonment to sin. And just pray this to say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm imprisoned by my sin. But I also believe I'm putting my full weight of trust in what you say that Jesus died for me. That he took my eternal judgment for me. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and I'm trusting in Christ and Christ alone. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for adopting me as your child. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just keep your eyes closed. If, if you've prayed that prayer this morning, I, I'd love to know. We've actually got something that we can even give you to to got, give you a little bit more information on that. But if you just slip your hand up quickly and, and put it back down, thanks. Thanks. I see it. Thanks. Anybody else? Just slip it up. Hold it up. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for for your faithfulness, for giving understanding. Thank you for 
doing what you've done by dying on the cross for us through Christ. Lord, I pray for these that have placed their faith in you. I pray that you would, um, as your word says, that you would confirm it through your Holy Spirit, that they would know that you've forgiven them of their sins, that their, their sin, uh, your, their account with you is wiped clean, and they now your child. I pray, Father, that you would encourage their hearts in that way. Praise things in Christ's name. Amen. And then I'd just like to talk to you who have already made that decision. And, and so the second one is you've been clothed with Christ. So what changes need to be made in your life to become more like Jesus, to represent him better, to, to look like Christ in how you live your life? That's our next step as Christians, to do that and to represent him and to show him to others. Ben.